0: Uh we just got back from uh, our mentor treat and um the really the theme of the retreat was uh Jesus speak to your church. And uh this morning I think that it's the, the same thing. we won't we don't want to leave a a theme like that at a, a retreat, right? Uh we want to bring that with us. So when we uh were there, our attitude and our heart was really we wanted to be open to the Lord and say, God, speak to us. And uh Ken Horn said, um it's not so much God speak to your church. I mean uh um, God speak to your church, it's church listen to your God, because God always wants to speak to us. And this morning he wants to speak, and so I'm going to pray that we would have hearts uh, open and that we would have ears to hear what the Spirit would say to us today. As I pray this, um, I, I've said this before, you know, I, I could sometimes close my eyes and, and bow my head and then and my mind is somewhere else. I'm thinking about something, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of calming down, I'm kind of getting into this place. And by the end of the prayer, I'm just kind of jumping in on the tail end of it. Well, let's jump in on the beginning of this, right? Let's, uh, let's really engage our hearts and let's just ask God to speak to us and that we would listen. Father, we want to thank you for this Sunday morning. And every time we gather together, Lord, we know that you always want to speak. Lord, out of 52 Sundays of a year, there are no wasted days. God, there is never a time when you don't desire to pour out to us and to help us to grow in our understanding of you. So, Lord, by our part, by our ears, by our heart's uh, openness, God, may this not be a wasted day. May we be ready to hear from you. And, God, we pray for a transformation within our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. It's an amazing, amazing thing how you could see lives transformed in a weekend. Sometimes I'll share with people that have an issue, a problem, something they're going through, and they'll come with this this huge problem that has been literally decades in the making. And sometimes I'll say, well, it didn't get this way in a day. It's not going to get better in a day. And uh, for a lot of things, it's true as far as walking through that process. But as far as change, change could happen right now in an instant. And uh, there was one uh, gentleman that I I spoke to. He's a friend of mine that uh, I haven't seen in, in quite a long time. And he was just walking this path with me, telling me what has happened in the past year, in the past couple of years. And I was absolutely blown away at his... His readiness for change, because when someone really wants to change, it's not something where um, they just say, hey, I want to change, and there's tears of of sorrow. There's also tears of repentance, and then there's actions that follow that, because if we really want to change, then we'll do something about it, and, and a lot of times that doing something about it means that we'll open up to someone else, we'll be accountable to someone, we'll share what we're going through, we're willing to count the cost in order to change. Now, I used to work with uh, students that were addicted to drugs and alcohol. And uh, one thing that we see is there's phase one, phase two. They had different phases in the program. And phase one is uh, an intake. You know, the guy just comes in. You know, the girl just comes in fresh off the streets, being arrested. And now now it's phase one. They're in a place of of kind of brokenness, but are they really ready for change? Phase two, they start to make some steps. There's a little bit of accountability and ownership. They're not casting blame. They're, they're realizing that they're the ones that did that. Then you get to phase three and they take more ownership. Phase four, you really begin to trust them. They want recovery. They want to change. And uh, phase five, they're helping other people in recovery. They're still um, humble and, and realize that they could fall at any moment, but there's this sense of wanting to help others. And I think that when it comes to the Holy Spirit working in us and through us, I don't want us to see the gospel ever as, as a program. It's not a self-help. It's not a, a bunch of steps. This is called regeneration, where the Holy Spirit comes into a person's life and changes the person radically from the inside out. Now, does that mean that, yes, we still have to make changes along the way? Absolutely. Repentance is not a one-time thing. It's a lifetime thing because it's a, a constant change. It's a constant Reaction to what God speaks to me. Now, I just wanted to show you a picture. It's just a glimpse of how quickly God could change people. This was our our group uh, at the beginning of uh, the retreat. Uh, If we could get that up there so I could see what's happening in the back, that would be great. Uh, But that's that's us. I mean, uh, Josiah and I were choking each other out. You know, it just... Everyone's kind of weird. You know, there's some guys that are crazy. And, and then by the end of the retreat, it was like that. I mean, there was like this, uh, this transformation that happened at the end of the men's retreat. Um, but it, it rea- in reality, God really does desire to change us. And that change sometimes um, can be painful. And what we're going to see when Peter begins to preach this sermon is, is that sometimes if the Holy Spirit will convict us and zero in on something in our lives, we could either respond with sensitive and open hearts and saying, God, speak to me, what should I do? Or, or we could have this kind of resistance. We could, we could put our hand up to God. We could turn our head. We could turn the other way. And sometimes there's even anger. Have you ever noticed that in your own life or in the lives of people maybe that you've tried to help? Sometimes people get really mad when you really zero in on the the issue. And I don't want to over-spiritualize something because sometimes people can blame the issue of sin on Satan. Man, I'm going through spiritual warfare. Yes, true. We are going through spiritual warfare. But you also might be a jerk. And you also might have done something really stupid. And so like when you're dealing with the consequences of that and you get fired from your job because you stole or because you, your your friend doesn't wanna talk to you because you gossiped about them and you say, I'm going through spiritual warfare. Yes, you are, but you also need to repent of specific action and you need to aim, name it and you need to own it. And this is what happens in Pentecost because last week we looked at, They were all in one accord in one place. Uh, Last night, we had a a time of prayer, um, of waiting on the Lord, and and, uh, there was a great response. A lot of men came forward to pray, and a lot of men came forward to humble themselves and to say, I I just need someone to pray for me, or or, here's an area where I I need to grow in my life. Um, We were in one accord in one place, and when we're in one accord in one place, God does a work. Now, he could do that with you individually, but there is something special about when God's people get together in one place, and they have the same heart and the same desire. The Holy Spirit comes upon them, and there was the sound like a rushing wind. There wasn't necessarily a rushing wind, but this this sound like a rushing wind. And and they knew that something was happening. The Holy Spirit was doing something new. There was a, a new phase in God's relationship with his people, The the birth of the church was taking place at this time. There were tongues as of fire sitting upon each one of them. It showed them that um, not only was the Holy Spirit given to the apostles, but all of them, all of the disciples. So there was a, a visible representation of God's Spirit resting upon each one of them. And then we also realized that as they began to speak in other tongues, other languages, or in ways that... People from all over Mesopotamia, look what it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 9. These Parthians and Medes, Elamites, and those uh, dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, uh, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So what were they speaking? They were speaking these wonderful works of God, what God was doing, and we looked at that last week as a, a spiritual gift, this ability to speak to God like this, and yet sometimes there's also linguistics. This morning in prayer, we were praying for missions. Uh, we were praying for, for really uh, God's work in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world, and as they were empowered, remember that Jesus told them to wait for the power from on high. Because you shall be, what? My witnesses. They weren't empowered just to be empowered. They were empowered in order to do something with that empowerment. And when we're empowered by the Holy Spirit, we're not to be empowered just to say, look, I'm empowered. It's it's that we would be his witnesses. As uh, we were praying, um, I, I see here that God has a heart for the nations. Not just for the Jews. I want you to see... As they gather, there's people outside from all over the world at that time, from all over coming to Jerusalem because it's the feast time. So they gather in this place, and God has a heart for the world. You know, one of the things that Stan was praying for, he was praying that the ministry would be effective. Um, And Kyle Marco, they are going to a new orphanage. And they haven't been to this orphanage before as far as working with them. So he's praying for much fruit. And and he said one of the things I have to be reliant upon God for is that I don't I don't speak their language. Have you ever been in that situation? You're trying to talk to someone. I've been on missions trips in China and Russia, in Mexico, parts of the Philippines, where I'm trying to talk to someone that can't understand what I'm saying, and I'm praying God help them to understand what I'm telling them. Um, God has a way of bypassing at times um that language barrier by the power of his holy spirit but this gift is even different because when peter preaches to them as we're going to see he actually preaches in a common language in which they all spoke so it's going to go from these people hearing all these different languages to peter speaking and he's speaking a common language um, for us in, in our world today what, what's probably the most common language if you're to travel it's english now, you'll go to some places in Ch- China, by the way, you're not going to get by with it. Uh, just I, I got lost one time. My team left me. We were at this one place, and there was a train. And I don't know what I was – I'm kind of ADD, so I was just kind of like off on my own, and the train left. And I turn around. My team is gone. Uh, fear just immediately grips me. And I'm. it's not like Mexico. You know, Mexico, you could get by with a little bit of Span- Spanglish, you know, Spanish-English. In the Philippines, you can get by. In China, you cannot get by. And you're looking at signs, and they look like, you know, these symbols, and you're, you're trying to read it, and you have no idea what's happening. And and I just remember being in China, and just this crazy thing. Finally, when they came back for me, I was like, whew. So we, we get back to the hotel, and, and I am sharing this for a reason, because you're going to see something that happens when the gospel is preached. Um, I got back to the hotel, and that night, my, my friend Sergio says, hey, I just feel like we need to go out and preach the gospel. We're we're on a missions trip around the world in a communist country in in a place at the at that time, right after the Tiananmen Square Massacre, that that it was a very intense place to be. And he's like, I don't want to just waste our time here. Let's go. And I said, let's do it. So my friend Sergio and I, we got on a train, just the two of us with a basketball. And we go to a park in which a bunch of Chinese people are playing basketball and we get in these pickup games playing basketball with these guys. And my friend Sergio is really really good. So, you know, being on his team, that kind of helps and and then and this guy comes and he talks to us and the guy has these tattoos from a, a gang in in China called the triads. Now, the triads it's kind of like a a mafia type gang. And so like we're we're trying to talk to this guy cuz the guy wants to talk to us because Sergio's really good at basketball. And he's asking him about American he's just like in his broken English, he's like he says um He says, uh, Magic Johnson. And like, oh, like he wants to talk to us about sports. So we're telling him. And then Sergio tells him, he says, Jesus. So the guy says, Magic Johnson. And Sergio looks at him and he says, Jesus. He wants to know if this guy has heard of Jesus. And so we're trying to tell him about Jesus. And and we're frustrated. and, And I'm praying like, God, please help us to bypass this language barrier. And as we're trying to talk to this guy, another guy walks by. And the guy stops and he says, are you trying to talk to him? And we said, yeah, we are. And he says, I can interpret for you because he spoke English and he spoke that dialect of Chinese that this this guy spoke. And so the guy uh, looks and and the guy's not, a you know, we don't know him. He's not like an interpreter that's with us on a mission trip. We're just we're just talking. And the guy, the guy says, what do you want us to say? And Sergio says, ask him if he's ever heard of Jesus and he asked him and the guy looked and he kind of was confused at first but then he said yes and and through the conversation what happened was this guy's grandmother was a christian and the guy just started listening and we're, we're talking to this guy on this playground and the guy listens to, to the whole gospel message and afterwards sergio says do you want to pray with me to receive christ into your life and the guy says yes and with tears coming down his eyes he prays to receive christ Now, we had no interpreter. We just went. We just played basketball and trusted that God would do something. And I think it is so important for us when we read these these accounts of what really happened. I I almost hate to call them, you know, this story of what Peter, because it's not a story. It is a story as far as I just told you a story of what Sergio and I did. But it's a true story. It's a real story of something that happened. There's a danger in us reading this as though that was back then and God doesn't work like that today. There's a danger in us reading something like this and thinking that was Bible times, but does God ever do things like that now? And I just wanna say, yeah, absolutely. He does stuff like this now. So after they listened to one another in verse 12, uh, they, uh, they, they, they listened, they hear them, they were perplexed. What could this be? And, and notice there's always gonna be people that mock. There will always be people that come in and just start to make fun of things and mock things. And you know what? As Christians, we're, we're kind of an easy target. And let me explain why we're an easy target. Um, first of all, the Bible says we're a peculiar people. Okay, we're we're different. We are uh, sometimes as a church, not not our church, but the church, large church in America, the American church, I understand when Paul said to become all things to all people, we should try to relate to them, but we we run a danger in thinking we have to be just like them in order for them to hear. We're different. And if people say we're out of step with, with culture, in some ways, yes. In some ways, we need to do a better job of bridging that gap and speaking their language. Um, there, there's a a guy that taught me this phrase where he said that we need to think biblically but speak secularly. He testifies to the Supreme Court. He's always speaking to uh, presidents, congressmen, judges, senators. So he's a believer. He is solid biblically. But if he comes before them and he uses Christianese, they're not going to really understand what he's saying. So, yeah, we need to bridge that gap. But we don't have to be just like the world. In fact, we should be different. And what we're going to see is Peter begins to explain this. They're mocking. And then in verse 14... Peter standing up with the 11, so notice Matthias is one of them at this point in time, he raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. Already this is miraculous. Peter, just previous to this, just, uh, you know, 50 days ago, when he was at a campfire with a little junior high girl and she said you're one of them he freaks out and he denies christ he is intimidated by what people are thinking he's afraid by the way what is peter's occupation he's a fisherman so at this point when we get to the book of acts he's still a fisherman all right he's an apostle but it's not like he was trained in a apostleship school he was trained because he was with jesus but don't think hey i'm i'm just uh whatever your occupation is i'm just a mechanic i am just a i am just an admin assistant i am just a a teacher's aide i I am just a, a a contractor i am just a as though that's all i do and other people do ministry god's called all of us to be a part of ministry Every single one of us that's a believer, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, how can I do this ministry as unto the Lord? Larry Elizondo taught a workshop at the Menger Tree um, and it was called uh, Purpose in Work. Like, what is my purpose in work? And so I was asking him for a takeaway because I couldn't be at all the workshops. And so I, I said, Larry, what? give me one quote. What's the takeaway from from uh, your workshop? And he said, eight for eight. And I said, Eight for eight, what does that mean? He goes, eight hours of pay for eight hours of work. One of the best ways that you could preach the gospel is if you are paid for eight hours, then you work eight hours. And when you work hard, it opens up the door for them to see that you're a good worker, you have integrity, and maybe the conversation can start. Just a great thing, eight for eight. Well, well Peter was a fisherman, but no, notice this. He's going to explain this spirituality and what happened by using the Bible. He is a fisherman that knows the Bible. He's not a pastor at this point in time, yet he's becoming one right now, a leader in the church, yes. Um, but he was a fisherman that knew the word. Are you a blank, whatever your occupation is, that also knows the word of God? Or, or do you leave that to the professionals? Because you can't leave it to the professionals because God wants to speak to each one of us, right? So Peter He explains this spirituality. Santa Cruz County, If if we're we're probably the most of any county, maybe in the United States, of this phrase, spiritual but not religious. We've got to be the most in all of the United States of America because everybody is spiritual. Everyone, but they have their own spirituality. But notice that, that God's spirit is called the Holy Spirit. That's a different spirit altogether. And Peter roots and grounds this spirituality in what? In scripture. We can't just say, well, I'm spiritual. What is my spirituality rooted and grounded in? Is it just in what I want? Am I smoking peyote and that's my spirituality? Because a lot of people that do that say, hey, I have these spiritual experiences. Is this, is it? No, Peter says, we need to go back to the word of God. So he says, hey, He raised his voice in verse 15. These guys aren't drunk, as you suppose. It's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Notice he confirmed it in God's word by saying, really, this is that. What you're seeing right here, we see it in the word of God. And he interprets the Old Testament from the book of Joel in verse 17. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. It says, and on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. Now I want you to know there's not a a sex distinction and there's not an age distinction. There's not a smart distinction and a dumb distinction. All of the people, all flesh were we're all available and open vessels for God to pour his spirit out into. Are you you open to that? I mean, this is, notice what it says. He he just said, your sons and your daughters. Maybe you think, well, you know, um, it's really, that's my parents. You know, my parents are real spiritual. I'm not real spiritual. This says your sons and daughters. Notice it says, your young men shall see visions. Now these are, um, ways that God can sometimes give a person a vision, but I'll tell you, the birth of a vision sometimes comes from a burden. Do you just have a burden? Do you just have a desire? Do you just wanna be? We need young men and women of vision today. Absolutely, we absolutely need that. And and when we look at the Jesus movement, there were young people of vision. When we look at the awakening in Wales, there were young people of vision. And when we look at today, I really believe that God is pouring out his spirit to anyone that would be open to him using them. You know what, I'm really blessed when, when a child has this, this faith, a child has this desire to say, God, just use me however you wanna use me. And sometimes we, we think, oh, well, that's that childlike faith. But that childlike faith, we all need that childlike faith. It says your old men will dream dreams. Um, just when I was leaving, not too long before I left Calvary Chapel, Gilroy, I had a dream, very, very vivid Um, regarding some people um, and and some ministry that God, I felt like God was gonna do within the church. And I remember I had this dream and I was kind of praying, Lord, should I share it? Should I, but it was so clear. You know how some dreams are a little bit fuzzy and you don't quite remember, you're not quite sure. This one was absolutely vivid. I felt like the meaning was there. I felt like there was scriptural backing. So I shared it with a couple of other guys and everyone felt like, yeah, that's what God was doing. And they said, you know what that means, Matt? I said, what does that mean? They said, that means you're an old man because it says that uh, young men shall see visions and old men will dream dreams. They say, you're, you just dreamt a dream, you know, and God gave that to you. And so you're, you're old man now, but at any given time, God wants to speak and on men servants, on maid servants, I'll pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. Now, one thing to see is when you see prophecies in the Bible, whether it would be in the old Testament or in the new Testament, There are times that in the middle of a paragraph, in the middle of a prophecy, that there's a a break. We look at it as a break between verse 18 and 19. But sometimes that gap can be hundreds of years, even thousands of years between that. So when you read the Old Testament, the prophecies of Jesus, some of the things they said were things that were pertaining right to their day, and then some of the things were going to be for the Messiah. Well, notice this jump here in verse 19. I will show you wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood. Um, It's still called a blood moon, by the way, if, if you ever see those red moons like that. But the coming and the great day and awesome day of the Lord, this prophecy is about the second coming. And then it says in verse 21, and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Peter uses every opportunity to preach the gospel. And, and I love that. I, I heard Greg Laurie in an interview, and uh, they were asking him about how he preaches the gospel. And he said, there are some evangelists that that's all, that's, they have one message, and it's all about coming to Christ as your Lord and Savior. He said, but I also pastor a church, so I take people through the word of God. He said, but every time I teach through the word of God, I try to look at how is the gospel seen? He said, so I'm in Ecclesiastes and it's at the end of Solomon's life and I'm, I'm teaching on it. And he said, and at the end of Solomon's life, he comes back to this faith. And he said, and I look at that as an opportunity to look out to the church and say, some of you are already in your older years and you're thinking maybe it's too late, but it's never too late. And the gospel is for you as well. And he said, so I tie it in. And every time I look at a passage, I look at where do I see the gospel in that passage? Well, this is what Peter does. He tells them not only what is happening right now, God's Spirit being poured out, but what's going to happen in the future, the second coming of Christ. And then he says, and by the way, in a sense, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever, whether past, present, future, when we call upon the name of the Lord. Now, this scriptural spirituality, it's not just spirituality, it's scriptural spirituality, it's grounded in the Bible. And then he goes into the gospel message. And let me ask you, do you think that you can explain the gospel to someone that doesn't know Christ? The gospel is a a word that literally is translated good news. Can you explain to someone how to become born again, how to be regenerated, how to become a, a child of God? And I really hope and pray that you can. And if you're not sure, then listen up because this is the gospel message. In the gospel, the first thing that Peter does is he starts with Jesus of Nazareth. And and I think that Jesus of Nazareth is key because Jesus was a very, very common name, probably the most common name in that area at that time. So he wanted to specify, this is the specific Jesus that I'm speaking of, Jesus of Nazareth. And, and that's just the greatest place to start a conversation with someone. Um, there's a, a friend of mine that was out. He was um, feeding, um, actually down in downtown Santa Cruz. He was uh, feeding these homeless people. They were giving out sandwiches. A guy came up to him and, and just said, I want to know how, how do I get saved? So the guy comes up to my friend and the guy, I, I've never had someone walk. I've never had that happen. Someone off the streets coming up to me, how do I get saved? So my friend gave him a sandwich, which is great. And then he just started asking him questions about his life and, and like started saying some other things. And, and then he started like kind of like a roundabout way to coming to the gospel. He's just like, and the guy said, I don't want a sandwich right now. I just ate. I want to know how do I get saved? And the guy just, he's like, that, I'm asking that question. And I think that sometimes we're, we're so hesitant to begin with Jesus of Nazareth. It's like we have to bridge these gaps and go this long distance. Yes, yeah, sometimes that's the way that God opens that door. But sometimes just begin with, hey, you know what? I'm just wondering, you know, you, we've been friends for a while. You know, we've been friends for a long time. And I think that you know that I'm a Christian. And maybe that's kind of an awkward subject. I'm not sure. I'm just wondering, what do you think about what, what I believe? Because there's a lot of people that think weird things about Christians. And I just want you to make sure that, that you don't, have a misconception about that is that an easy way to start a conversation non-threatening just just like hey what do you think about and then just listening to them and like oh really no we don't (laughs) we don't believe that let me tell you about what we believe it's not really a religion it's really about jesus and and let me explain why that's that's the doorway right there Jesus said he's a door. We're looking for a door. Jesus is like, I'm the door. You know, I'm the door. You come through this door. We're like, oh, we got to be more creative and clever and find some other door. And Jesus is like, I'm the door. So he begins by saying, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. They, they knew enough about Jesus because they were in that area. They couldn't deny that Jesus was doing these works. He's like, You guys know? He did all of these things in your midst. And, and you, you, you know these miracles, these signs, these wonders that he did. And by the way, when it comes to um, both the, the signs and the wonders and Jesus' words, so you look at works and words. Jesus' works are loving. Uh, he fed people, he healed people. No one has a problem with his works. And, and even people that aren't Christians will say, well, um, oh, it's just Christians I don't like. You know, I like Jesus. You know, I, I'm all, I, I like the Jesus that you guys follow. I just don't like Christians or I just don't like church. So no one has a problem or most people don't have a problem with Jesus's works. What they have a problem with is Jesus's words. Because Jesus didn't just do works. He also opened his mouth and taught, right? And when he taught, one of the things he said is that, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Those are his words. Um, Jesus is, is the truth. He said, and the truth will set you free. Uh, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Um, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. People don't have a problem with what Jesus did. They have a problem with what Jesus said. So Paul begins with what Jesus did. He's like, you guys know that. And then verse 23, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands and have crucified and put to death. Now I want you to see that Jesus' crucifixion um, was part of God's purpose and it was foreordained and God knew that he was going to do it, but they were not off the hook as far as responsibility was concerned. There was still a responsibility on their part because he says, you have taken by lawless hands and have crucified and put to death. In verse 24, here's the heart of the, the gospel is not only did Jesus die, but verse 24, whom God raised up having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. If Jesus hasn't risen from the dead, if the resurrection did not take place, How do we know that he really can forgive sin? If Jesus has not risen from the dead, why should we trust anything that he said at all? The resurrection shows that the transaction actually was accepted. Um, Maybe you've had a credit card that you've had run. You've gone to a restaurant or somewhere, and uh, I don't know, maybe you're one of those people that's real nervous, like... Is that going to go through? Is that going to go through? And then it prints, you know, here you go. Oh, it went through, You know, that means there was enough in the account and it covered it. It didn't, it didn't get rejected. How do you know that the transaction was enough? How do you know that the blood of Christ was enough? The resurrection shows that the transaction happened. Jesus didn't just say it would happen. It actually happened. And you could look back at some of the other books, um, That we've taught through, especially in the gospel of Matthew, if you want to listen as far as evidence of the resurrection, because there's so much evidence, not just in the Bible, but even outside of the Bible. And then it says in verse 25, again, what does Peter do? He uses scripture to show that what Jesus did was really, um, it was really verified in scripture. He He always went back to the Bible. For David, it says in verse 25, says concerning him. I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for He is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not allow uh, you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life, you will, make known, uh, you will make me full of joy in your presence. Now, David says concerning him. Now, now when David was writing this Psalm, I don't even know if, if David fully realized that this was prophetic as far as um, Christ later on being the fulfillment of this. But what David did is he knew, he understood, he took heart that he wouldn't just stay in the grave. We're, we're not just gonna stay in the grave. Uh, the day before i flew back last week um it was my mom's 84th birthday so i went to visit her and help her with some things and my dad's um the gravestone was ready actually the day that i flew out that morning they had just set it so we went there and just had a, a great time just as a family remembering and and knowing that he's not there he's not there someone asked me um they said where is your dad cuz I, I talked to a guy at the mental treat, and he's from west Covina also and I said, "Well, my dad, my dad's in heaven, but his body uh, was buried at Forest Lawn. So, yeah." And he laughed. He goes, "I understand that, but isn't that a great thing?" David took heart. You're not going to leave me in the grave. I'm not going to stay in, in the grave. There's this hope. And in the same way, this is also a prophecy of Jesus that He wouldn't remain in the grave, and God the Father would not allow His holy one to see corruption. It means His body wouldn't decay. Jesus resurrected. Now, in verse 29, it says, men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of David, uh, of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried. His tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him that the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would rise up the Christ to sit on his throne. So notice that, uh, again, Peter explaining this, he said, David, he's still in the, t- David's tomb is still there, his His body is still in the tomb to this day, but Jesus didn't stay in the tomb. There's a difference. And then it says in verse 30, Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He foreseeing this spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ. So, So David looked forward. He didn't know Jesus particular, but he was looking forward to the Messiah. And it says the Christ, and that's, that's why the word Christ is the anointed one, um, the Messiah. Uh, it's not Jesus is his first name and Christ is his second name. The Christ, they didn't know whom it would be. That's why they were looking. The Jews to this day, especially the religious devout ones, are still looking for the Christ. The important thing for us to, is to know is that the Christ has already come. Now, Jesus will come again. The Christ will have a second Advent. Christmas, we celebrate the first Advent. But the second coming, Jesus will come again. And then it says um, in verse 32, this Jesus God has raised up of which we are all witnesses. He's like, we're all witnesses, all 120 of us. In fact, the witness was so strong that the disciples who fled and they all left. Now they're willing to stand. And Peter's willing to raise his voice. And all of these people from all over the world, he's, w- he's willing to stay there, stay put, speak forth what God has given to him. Because wouldn't the resurrection give you some kind of boldness? Wouldn't that give you some kind of gumption to say, well, the worst they could do is kill me, right? And to know that all that's gonna happen is it would send you to heaven. And so Peter he says, you, you know, we're all witnesses of this. And by the way, remember in Acts one eight, you shall, you know, the Holy Spirit will come upon us and we will be what? Witnesses. This morning, if you have been regenerated, born again, and you have experienced the life of Christ, you're a witness to what God has done. Now, what would happen if there were... Um, a crime or or something to testify, what would happen if that witness did not want to say anything? Sometimes a judge could even say, you, you have to speak. But you know what? Willingly, witnesses should come forth, right? To say the truth. The sad thing is that some of you are witnesses to what God has done in your life and maybe people's lives in your family, maybe some of your friends. Some of you aren't willing to testify. Yeah, you you know it's true. You've seen it happen. That's why we need the power of the Holy Spirit to be filled with that boldness and love for people that we would be willing to risk our reputation and what they think about us to say this this really happened and this is how it has affected my life. It goes on, Peter speaking says, um, in verse 33, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see And here, and then listen to this, for David did not ascend into heavens, but he says himself, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Now notice, the Lord said to my Lord, the Lord, God, the Father, that's the word, the Old Testament word that is used for God. He's like, just imagine in a sense, it's saying God said to God, so God the Father said to Jesus, the Lord said to my Lord. God doesn't call anyone else God, does he? Except Jesus, because Jesus is God. Now, I know that that might be confusing if you're a new, new, you know, you're like, what, what in the world? What, what's going on? Is he schizophrenic? Is it, uh, is this this weird th-? No, Jesus is equal to God the Father in authority and power. They're two separate persons in the sense of two distinct uh, parts of who God is. But the triune God in his very nature has community. God in his very nature shows us, you know, the, our human standards of trying to explain this, it falls short. My My favorite one is water. You know, if you've ever seen water, um, you've seen ice and ice melts and there's water and there's, you know, the, the vapor as it evaporates that comes up and you could see the steam, you could see the ice, you could see the water and it's all made of the same stuff, the same characteristic, but it's it's different. Well, God, the father says to God, the son, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies, your footstool. Now, at this point in time, they're they're kind of listening. Maybe, maybe you have someone, if you're a fisherman, uh, what do they say? You got to set the hook, right? There's the bait. And then you, you yank up on the hook and that means you, you kind of set the hook. It's almost like, okay, they've listened. And, and here's the thing is that sometimes we could do the opposite of bringing a person to conviction because we're so afraid of them being offended that we don't want to say anything that offends anyone. As long as the, the message is not offensive. Now, remember this, we're not to offend people needlessly by being mean or anything like that. But the gospel is offensive to us in our flesh, in our human nature, because in verse 36, here's the bad news. It says, therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now he points the finger at them. And in our world today, they're like, don't ever point the fingers at people. Don't ever accuse, don't ever, you know... Peter doesn't mess around and he said, you crucified him. And you know what? I crucified Jesus and so did you because Jesus hung on the cross because of our sin. It wasn't nails that, Jesus was powerful. He was the creator. He, he resurrected. It wasn't like the nail, like he couldn't just, you know, you know, and like kill all of them right there. He could have done that. He didn't because he was at that point in time, what we're about to partake of in communion he was at that point in time taking on all of our sins upon himself it was at that point in time that sins past and sins present and sins future jesus was taking that upon himself and the reason why he couldn't stay in the grave the wages of sin is death he didn't he took our sin upon himself but he rose again according to scripture and it shows that Jesus, when he, he was sinless, but he took our sin upon himself. Notice in verse 36, it's because we crucified him by our lives, by our sin. We can't, some people blame the Romans. It was the Romans that did it. Some people blame the Jews. It was the Jews that did it. But you know what? Jesus, for God so loved the what? The world that he gave his only begotten son. He died for all of us, for every single one of you for every person that you know. Even the people that are against you and the people that hate you and the people that make fun of you, he died for them. And, and the guys that, that um, are, are persecuting Christians in this world, he died for them. And the people that are on death row, he died for them. And the good moral person that is a part of the PTA and gives to charity but doesn't know Christ, he died for them. He died for the sins of the whole world. And the greatest sin that keeps us away from God is self-righteousness. I don't need God. I don't need to be forgiven. I could do it on my own. Why do I need God? I'm a good person. That's the sin that condemns people. And so when he says this, I want you to see now in verse 37, here comes the conviction. And, And notice that Peter doesn't pull back because if he would have pulled back, there wouldn't have been that conviction It says in verse 37, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Some of you this morning might be cut to the heart. This might be abrasive to you, might be offensive to you. I'm not trying to offend you. I'm sharing this because I love you, because I want you to know that this is the way to life. That's why Peter shares this with them. It says that they were cut to the heart. And Peter and the rest of the apostles, um, they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Now, if conviction comes, here's what to do. Ask the question, what should I do? Don't say, I'm good enough. Don't be offended. Don't be angry. Don't be mad. Don't don't turn your back. Just say, what what should I do? Because remember, as I said at the beginning, sometimes when it comes to real healing, real change, when it comes to really receiving Christ, the thing that will keep people away is pride. The thing that will keep the greatest hindrance is going to be pride, and so here is regeneration, verses thirty-eight through forty-one. Then Peter said to them, "Repent," and, and this word "repent" it it takes on a negative connotation to us today because we always think of a guy with a sign screaming at people, you know, and yelling at people. I've, I've seen you know people misrepresent. Uh, there's nothing wrong with the sign. Right, There's nothing wrong with the sign, but I've seen people in their attitudes and actions and what they would say and their words, not being loving and, and being angry, like, repent, you know, and almost like not wanting people to repent. You know, I, I don't know. It's, but, but Peter says repent, and that means you could turn around. U-turns are allowed. You're not going down a street where it says no U-turn. You're going down a street that says U-turn here. And then you keep driving, you turn here. You keep driving, you turn here. But eventually there's going to be a time when you're gonna be driving for a long time and there's no more U-turn signs. See, God wants us to repent right now because we could harden our hearts. What's to guarantee that tomorrow I'm gonna be softer, more tender, more open to the things of God? Oh, I'll do that later. How how do you know that? How do you know how much time you have? How does any person know? So Peter doesn't waste any time and he says, repent. Repent. Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission or the forgiveness of sins. This is for pardon. Do you want pardon today? I I need pardon. I need pardon. And if you've never asked for that pardon, I'll tell you one of the greatest things. I I have a a friend that was in in prison. He was a two striker um, on trial for a possible third strike. After his first strike, he was in prison. He bargained with God, you know, said, God, if you get me out of here, I'll worship you. God got him out, went back a second time. The third time he went in, he was going to be a third striker, which is life in prison. And my friend said, God, if I have to serve you here all of the days of my life until I die, I will. I worship you. And he said that time it was real. At that time, it was really repentance. It says, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. He said, Matt, the thing that brought me more than anything else, it wasn't even the hope of heaven. It was just, I needed to be forgiven because I had so much guilt. Some of you have so much guilt. You know that you've been convicted. You know that the Holy Spirit has shown you that you've done wrong things. And he said, I just needed that. When I heard that God could forgive me, he said, that was the thing that, that drew me. And it says, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Notice he's not earned regeneration the new birth is not earned by being good by reading your bible enough by going to church enough for the promise is to whom it's to you who else is it to and to your children it's to you it's to your children and whom else and to all who are far off and whom else as many as the lord our god will call now people can say well this is predestination And the Bible does teach predestination. But I also want you to notice the next verse. And with many other words, and by the way, the many other words is the sermon. There were other things that Peter said, and the Holy Spirit abridges these things at times that we have recorded in the Bible. Most of the sermons that we have are just um, like an abridgment of the sermon that was preached. So with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation, And then in verse 41, then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Did Jesus predestine? Yeah, how did he predestine? He knows who's going to choose him, right? He understands that. There's nothing that's catching them by surprise, but what it is to us, the way it's left to us is to choose, to make a decision. Spurgeon said it in a wonderful way. He said, I imagine that above heaven, there's going to be a banner above the gates to heaven. And it says, whosoever wills, let him enter. And then when you walk through, you read the back of the sign and it says, for I have chosen you before the foundations of the world. You know what? God's invitation is to all. And as his invitation is to all, it's to whomever would receive that. And so we're going to pray and I'm going to explain what we're going to be doing today. When we partake of communion, um, the bread in the cup, the bread represents Jesus's body that was broken for us. And you know what? It's good to remember that. Um, it's, not a, it's not a morbid thing. I think sometimes people that aren't um, followers of Christ think it's a morbid thing. It's not a morbid thing. You know, when, uh, when we go out to visit my dad's, um, my dad's grave site, that's not a morbid thing. There are tears sometimes, but I'll tell you that sometimes those are tears of joy. There's, you start laughing about a joke, about something that he, he did, something he shared, and tears might come, but there's also joy. When we remember what Christ went through on our behalf, there's something that happens in that worship time where we're, we're thankful for what he went through. And yes, it was brutal. And if you've seen uh, the movie that just came out, Son of God, or if you've seen The Passion of the Christ, or, or if you've read scriptures, and you can just imagine how brutal this is, when we partake of the bread, that's, that's remembering Jesus's body that was broken, bruised for us. What he went through, he showed his love for us through that. And when we partake of the cup, the cup represents Jesus's blood that was shed for us. The transaction, what did, what did it take to buy our, our sins, to redeem us, to take our punishment upon himself? It cost the blood of Christ, sinless sacrifice. And when we partake of the bread and the cup today, you know, as Paul exhorted the Corinthians not to partake in an unworthy manner, remember that the unworthy manner is thinking well, I'm not worthy enough. Let me explain that again. The unworthy manner is thinking I'm not worthy enough because that must mean that sometimes you are worthy. Oh, I'm worthy enough. You know, I'm pretty good now. Then you're not, (laughs) you know? It's this thing when we humble ourselves and we come to God and say, God, I'm not worthy, but only because of what you've done, only because of your sacrifice can I come into fellowship with God. If you believe that, then I'm going to invite you as the worship team leads us in the time of worship. I'm going to invite you to come and take the bread and to take the cup back to your seat and hold on to it because at the end, as a, as a body of Christ, we're going to partake together. But this is a time to reflect and to remember. But here's the invitation to you. There are some of you that have never received that gift. You've never received Christ as your Lord and your Savior. You've never done that. You might know people that have done that you might be a part of church but you know whether or not you've really made that transaction to make christ both lord and savior in your life and today is the day don't hesitate don't procrastinate when it comes to spiritual things this is the most important thing if you got a speck of sand in your eye would you say you know i'll get it out tomorrow no you're like "Ah, i gotta get this out right now it's irritant how much more so when it comes to I I need to know whether or not I'm going to go to heaven. I need to know what my life is all about. I need to know what my purpose, why was I created? I I need to know where I'm going to live in eternity after I die from this world. Don't hesitate. Today is the day of salvation. And if you pray a gift, when does it become yours? When you receive it. The gift is offered. It's free because Jesus paid for it. It's received It it's it becomes yours when you receive it. And so as we worship Come up take the bread and the cup and if you've never prayed to receive christ as your lord and savior And you want to do that today take the bread and cup back to your seat Because I invite you to partake with us and to recognize the significance of what this is today Let's pray lord. We want to thank you for your word We thank you father for the gospel because it is the good news But Lord, we also realize that it's good news because there was bad news. Lord, the bad news is that we have all gone astray. We have each rebelled. We have each sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Lord, even some of us, it's our self-righteousness or pride in thinking that we were okay. That was the sin that needed to really be, be forsaken and forgiven. And Lord, as we come today and we partake of communion, we want to remember what you've done for us. By faith, we, we proclaim that the blood of Christ was enough, that the transaction is completed because of what you have done. And Lord, I would pray right now, if there's anyone that has never received Christ as Lord and Savior, if they have never committed their life to you and received that free gift, that today would be the day by faith that they would do that. And so if that's you, I also invite you to come and take the bread and come back to your seat, and we are going to partake together at the end. So just come as you are, realizing this that none of us is worthy. But because of what Jesus has done, because it's a a gift of unmerited favor, that we could all partake. So, Lord, we don't want to do it lightly. Cleanse our hearts, forgive us of our sins. Lord, help us not only to ask for forgiveness, but to repent to forsake them. And if that means talking to someone else about what we've done or needing help, then Lord, give us the courage and faith to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.